Hello, I'm Josephine Burton, and welcome to the Dash Arts podcast, seeing the world through an artistic lens. Over the last 10 years, Dash Arts has produced more than 100 live Dash cafes, packed with conversation and performance. Our brand new podcast series features a few of our favourites from recent times. If you've already listened to the trailer or have attended one of our Dash cafes or productions and gigs and even our immersive residencies, you might know a little about us already. If you haven't, do have a listen or check us out at our website, dasharts.org.uk or simply listen on here. I'm going to play a conversation we recorded live at Rich Mix in London in February 2019 at one of our Dash cafes. I spoke to Swedish actors Baha Paz and Nana Balandel about Baha's series of short films. Baha is also an amazing film director. We were joined by Khuda Echofani, who was the star in our theatre production of 1001 Nights in 2011, and Tom Green, who manages Platform Project at Counterpoint Arts. Together, we explored European migration and European identity today. We asked how people's experiences today are different to previous generations and what defines a European identity for artists and migrants who were born outside of it. I'm going to jump us straight into the live recording now, and we're back at the end, probably to convince you to subscribe and review us. The artistic director of Dash Arts, and it is a complete pleasure to welcome you all here this evening to our cafe, Destination Europe. Um, uh, put your hand if you've been to a Dash cafe before. Like a good chunk of you. So Dash cafes, they are um, opportunities for us to uh, explore and investigate and research uh, parts of the world that we're working in um, at the moment in a very informal and fun and participative and I hope quite discursive way. And this evening um, and during this, the last year, and I hope and I imagine particularly if if, if negotiations over transition periods continue, we shall be doing this for some time. We are asking this question of what it means to be European. Uh, it emerged for us out of the referendum result in 2016 when we thought, wow, like, what does it mean if, we're, if, if in the UK we're, we're leaving the EU? What does it mean to be European anyway? And that's been our journey over the last few years and we're asking that of artists and thinkers and writers. And tonight we're asking this question of what does it mean to become European? And, and it's really been inspired for me by my friends at the Swedish Embassy who introduced me to a wonderful uh, filmmaker and actress, Baha Paz, who's come over this evening from Stockholm with her star, one of the stars of her films, Nana, who, who we're, uh, I'm delighted to, to welcome this evening and to be able to show her films. And she, as we'll learn later this evening, the conversations that emerge through my chatting to, to my friends at the Swedish Embassy and later with Baha has really inspired the conversation this evening about um, being, a, being an actress, being an artist and performer in a, non, in, 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 in a, in a land that is to which you, in which you were not born and what does it mean and how does it affect your work and your life and your identity. So we're going to unpack that a little bit more, but we're going to start off this evening by seeing two short films made by Baha Nana stars in the first one, and so we get to see her as well. And then after the first two films, it's about, it'll be about half an hour, we will come on the stage and we'll be joined by Khuda and Tom, and I'll introduce them properly later. So in the meantime, enjoy the films. Thank you. And, and, yeah, Nana and, oh, and Tom, 
is that. So, so welcome to some of my fantastic speakers this evening. Um, I have Tom on my far left, who is the um, runs platformer at Counterpoint Arts, um, and uh, we'll, we'll hear a little bit more about platformer and Counterpoint, I hope, through the evening, but it's a delight that he's able to come from around the corner um, to join us this evening. Nana, who we, had, we saw being a terribly awkward actress in the film studio, um, thank you very much for, for being coming all the way from Stockholm with Baha to join us this evening, and thank you for your role in that beautiful film. Thank you, Thank for, you for having us. Um, Khoda is on my right. Khoda, I, it's a complete privilege for me to welcome this evening. Khoda was the star of our Shahrazad. Oh, sorry, was the star Shahrazad in um, uh, my colleague Tim's One Thousand and One Nights production, which opened in the UK and premiered at the Edinburgh International Festival in two thousand and eleven. Um, and it's it's really special for me to be able to uh, bring Khoda into the conversation this evening and talk very much from her perspective, but also through I imagine through a little bit about her work with Dash as part of 1001 Nights, which we'll hear from a little bit later as well. And to my far right, we have Baha, who's like Nana, come over from, from Stockholm to join us for this evening. And we will see one more short uh, work in progress of Baha's a little bit later as part of the conversation. But I wondered, Baha, if you could kick off by yes. talking to us as, about your journey, because you started your professional existence as an actress. Yes, and uh, I have worked as an actress 10 years uh, before I started to direct and write and be filmmaker. Uh, so kind of I was, uh, because I know we asked, you asked me before why <laughs> I started to do films and, and it was because I felt so less about um, the casting, like the first film you saw, you know, that's the kind of situation I always was in. And I always... Um, it was so stereotype everything, and also 10 years ago when I started, it was even <laughs> worse. Much also happened in the few years in the world, I think. So I was like, okay, if I want to do, I cannot wait for someone to write me a good part or film. So I will start to do my own films, so I can be a really, really big filmmaker, so I can give myself a really, really good... Uh, you know, something good to play, complex and, you know, whatever I wanted to be. So it was how I started it, but when I started, it became something else. It became that, like, uh, I don't know, I just wanted to tell and tell and tell, and I couldn't stop telling. <laughs> you know, I couldn't stop writing and, and telling. And I love it, and I feel that I'm so limited, in acting is so limited for me, because it's always dependent on other people, to having the power over me, over how I look, how I talk. So I wanted to change that in a way. So that was actually surviving, surviving tactic <laughs> why I started <laughs> to, to write and do films. And do you... Um, I, there is so, it's the, the, the awkwardness of your films. I mean, there are so many beautiful things about the films. But the, the awkwardness of both films, where there's so much unsaid... Um, and so much there left for us to try and understand and to watch all of the characters in the films deal with the fact that nothing yeah. there is there's a lot of silence in the room is that that that's obviously that that's driving you you as a filmmaker but did you feel that the, there was just nothing i mean those sort of those confrontations about stereotypes about racism is do you feel that actually you're not you weren't you weren't seeing that at all in in the world of swedish performance uh actually no not when i started it wasn't, there was 
there was I, I people weren't talking about it or they weren't no i didn't feel we had this discussion also when i was in acting school i started 2003 and and uh, graduate 2007 we didn't have this talk it was it was more about to assimilate yourself you know uh, also maybe because we have immigrants in sweden you you have it in london much more uh, and you have a history of it maybe we are much younger in sweden to have history of of uh, immigrants, you know, into film and acting and theaters. I don't know. It's just my guess. I really don't know. Because I don't feel that it's so much change either. But I didn't hear about the discussion. When, when I was in acting school, it was how to become Swedish. It was how to become and, and speak perfect Swedish like you see in Ghetto Swedish. She is, because you can't hear it because you are not Swedish, because, but she is speaking perfect Swedish. And they just want to change it all the time. So it was... Uh, so when I started, it was about to assimilate yourself to something, something that I couldn't identify with. But I started to do that because I thought it was what you should do with the language, with, with the, how you talk, with the tonality, tone, tone, you know, everything. With your body and everything was just wrong. And, and they wanted to put you in a sort of... Uh, Person. So for me, it's called, I call it assimilation. They wanted us to assimilate. And I feel it also a lot. And in ghetto Swedish, it's the opposite. They want her to be a ghetto. So she assimilates. And then it's like, no, this is also wrong. So, yeah. Nana, tell us about, I mean, I suppose, did you, were you already, were you, did you already know each other before you started working together on ghetto Swedish? Yeah, we did. I, I, I did my admission test for um, the same theater school as Bahar went to. And I read with Bahar, and that's the, um, I got into the school by uh, by, help, by the help of Bahar. So when she wrote the um, the script, Rinkebisanske uh, in Swedish, get a Swedish. We were actually on a train to Gothenburg, and then she asked me to play the role. And I think we did only one take in the studio because we had no money and no support from anybody. So it was like just do it. Uh, so that was like the first time we started working. And did you, did you write it with Nana in mind? Yes, of course, yes, 100%. If she wasn't there, I couldn't write it. If she, if she, of course, I mean, she said that I helped her, but it's not true because you made the test and come in. It's very hard to get in that acting school. So thank you, but it's, it's not at all true. You did that journey yourself. But, but I felt that if she wasn't there to see what I'm seeing... Because sometimes you think you are crazy. Then people say, don't be so sensitive. And you're like, okay, is it me? Or, okay, maybe I have the glasses to see everything in that perspective. Is it me or is it them? And, and you started to get the paranoia, you know. And what the, my third film that is not finished yet will, will, uh, is about. And, and then <laughs> if I have not met Nana, I would never, like... <sighs> I, it, it would not be possible because I had her. But for me, it was very important that she read the script and she said, I understand. For me, it was everything. I didn't care about the people who give us money because in the first, they didn't. I was like, Nana, understand. Then I'm not crazy. So it was very important, yes. And how did you feel being part of it? How was it for you, that experience? Of it was so easy. It was, it was like working with somebody who speaks the same language as you are. And I think me and Bahar, I mean, we're, quite, we're not a lot of uh, people of color in Sweden working in films or who are actors. But So 
when we connected, it was like finding home. Like we had the same experience, we had the same struggles. So with having her as a director, it was just like everything was super easy. We had the same language. I could understand exactly the script and everything. And I think that's why we just did one take with my scene. Right. Because yeah. it was you in yeah. some way. Yeah. But, but actually, your experience is quite different, right? Because, Nana, you were born in Sweden. Yeah. And, and Baha, wh wh how old were you when you moved? When you moved I was 10, 10, becoming 11. And, Do you, and where did you move from? Iran. I moved uh, during uh, the 80s in, in Iran, 89, actually. And, and, so, um, yeah. and, at what, and, and at what point did you decide you wanted to become an actor? Late. I was 20-something. I think it's written is late <laughs> because it's, it's, it's also about class perspective. It's like people know what they want to do very early. And uh, for me to be an actress, to, to do art, it's for me also a class perspective. It's, it's that you come, you have uh, the A, right, the photo setting, and you have the, you can do it because you have it with you from home. It's you have a, easy. You have a, a duty. You have not a duty, you have a. I have the photo setting, yes. Sorry? Privilege. You, yes, yes, thank you, thank you. You have the privilege that you can be an actress. You don't have privilege to be an actress when your f mother and father take you from a country to another country and they are like, just be a doctor because we don't, yeah. we want you to be happy and have the, you know, money, <laughs> money and, and have a good life. So, so to be an actress, I think it's very privileged. You know, to, 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 to do art, to write and to direct. And also maybe that we see same people in the film and it's same, same, same stories over and over again because it's, it's same people. And, and it's going into, it's like a heritage, you know, that go round and, and go round. I don't know. So, so you were both fighting uh, your parents who, who weren't very keen on, on you on you becoming an actress yeah. and the fact that you didn't think that there was going to be a place for you in Absolutely as an not. actress of, 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 of Iranian background. Absolutely not. And, and uh, so for me to assimilate myself was, was totally, it's what you do. It was like, okay, then I will like become Swedish in a way. And it was so absurd because I couldn't. Uh, why, why couldn't you? Because it's about... You know, I talk with my hands. <laughs> I am much, and I, I, and I talk loud, and, and, you know, the people in the school, they didn't. They, they was in another way. <laughs> and, what, and so what, um, what gave you the confidence to apply for drama, for beca to become an actress? Just, I, not confident, just, yeah, I mean, be a rebel. Uh, I think uh, to be a rebel against everything, against the system and against everything. But I had some people, you know, that saw me that was like, but you know, you have talent. I was like, I have, huh? I feel that too. I have <laughs> talent. And I said, yes, you have. So there is also some people to, who helped me to get there, so, like saw me, yeah. some, some actors. So, so I, would say, I would not say that I was just alone in it, but in, in a way it felt like that very much that you are alone with it. And it's very lovely when you start a journey to find your own language and then you start these kind of schools as institutions and everything just dies because they want you in a certain way. And it's very hard to fit in. And then you just lose it. And actually, I, can, I, can ha I have a story because I went back to Iran 2006, we have this uh, practice, six months practice you can do wherever in, 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 uh, in the country, in some theater or something. And I was like, if I go back to Iran, I will find, I will find that tone, I will find, 
I will find what I'm missing in myself. And school helped me, and they sent me to Tehran, and I had some contacts in Tehran's uh, theater, and, uh, but it just went so wrong. Everything went wrong from the start, <laughs> and, and I went home after, after three, four weeks. I was like, I can't do it, and it, was, it broke my heart, really. You, uh, before you went back, had you ever, had you, had you, before, had you acted at all in Farsi? No, nothing in Farsi, nothing. I have just been back like, for some summers and you know, visiting my, my, my aunt or something, but not like to go back, and I was like, okay, if I go back to Tehran, I will find, I will be an actor there, and I, it will be great, and I will find, I will be home, you know. And, I, and it was totally wrong. I, I couldn't, the language, I couldn't speak the language totally free. I was not like them. I was too much. I, was, I couldn't, the codes between them and everything. It, it, was, it, went, it was one of my worst periods in, in my life because I did so much wrong <laughs> things all the time. And, and I felt that, oh my God, I am not home. This is my country, but I'm not part of it anymore. I'm going to I'm going to back, I'm going to stop you because I want I want to keep talking yeah. about this, but I want to bring in Khuda because Khuda had a very similar experience in that she moved to the UK from Egypt when you were when you were similar age. From Morocco. From, from Morocco. Sorry, Morocco. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, forgive me. I'm half Egyptian, half Moroccan. So <laughs> thank you for clarifying. Did you? Did, is, is there anything that Baha was saying that oh, sounds God, familiar? So so much from it. So so much. It's just it's just. It's so similar. I moved when I was 11 as well, and I so desperately wanted to be English. Oh, my God. I just, I literally, I was like, this is amazing. I came in, I had a French education. I was from a very poor area in, in, in Morocco, and, and uh, we moved here. I had lots of aunts here, and, um, and I, I was literally just thrown into school. I was, my mom didn't even come with me. She put me on the bus stop. It was 74 bus. There was a girl wearing the same uniform as me. I didn't speak a word of English. And she said, okay, you go with her. And that was it. And she went back home. And I was like, okay. And I got on the bus. I had, like, the money for the bus. Didn't speak a word of English. And I, it was just one of those things. It was, yeah, my mom, to this day, she goes, yeah, and? She's like, she had no remorse for this experience whatsoever. I made you a woman. So I, I got on this, and I was tiny, and I got on this bus, and I just went to this school, and they were like, oh, is your parent with you? I'm like, oh. and, and I just, you know, and that was, that was life, and I was like, this is amazing, you know, and there were all these girls, and it was, we're wearing the same clothes, and I was like, I'm, I could do this. I could fit in here. But then with time, as, as I realized I couldn't really couldn't really speak the way people were speaking, which made me very angry. So I became a very angry young person because I wanted to express so much and I couldn't. Um, and I was sort of adopted by these, these kind of, they were Somalian, Egyptian, Moroccan, kind of a crowd in Fulham Cross School that I remember just sort of took me under their wings and they would kind of hand me over they kind of lunch hall you take her and it was you know so they kind of would take me around until I found my footing and the only the only class that I loved was English and we were doing Shakespeare at the time and I couldn't I couldn't even speak but I would try to read and I and it, I got teachers are so incredible and I had this one teacher who just said yeah you're really good and I believed it um and that's how I became an actor um, genuinely that is she is Miss Jackson Letitia Jackson I remember because she just never made me feel like she made me feel like I was good and people would be laughing and I'd be like meh 
you don't understand. I'm good. And um, <laughs> so at, at, by the age of 14, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to drama school. My mum was like, find one. You know, and I, and I did. I had, like, I had no idea. I had to go to the library. Um, I went to the wrong one. I was meant to go to Brit. And I walked into Selhurst College that had a BTEC National Diploma in Performing Arts. And so I auditioned for the wrong school and got in. And my mum kept telling people for years, she went to Brit. I didn't. Uh, um, but but that, was, that was my journey to, to acting. And then once I got to, once I was about to gra- graduate actual drama school, I remember very clearly coming, and I was really trying to get rid of my accent, my French, my Arabic, all of these things, trying to make my RP good, you know. So, because my dream was to be in a theatre and to do Shakespeare and to do all these things. And I remember coming, it was my last year, I remember being sent home because there was a national, something, some disaster, everyone had to go home, and it was 9-11. And I came home, and, you know, and, and kind of experienced that, and that year was very strange for me. It was my graduating year at drama school. So I spent all this time trying to lose my accent, and then I came out into the world of casting directors, and they, my first role was like, can you do an Arabic accent? And I was like... Okay. <laughs> and, and everyone, all the Arab actors who'd been working in the industry for years here were like, oh, actually this whole terrorist thing is really good for us because we're getting, a, a, you know, we're getting roles. We're not, we don't have to go for Asian. We, we're actually getting Arab roles. And I remember going, great. This is okay, brilliant. And it took me like, I, I would say about seven to eight years before I went, no. This is really not great, and I'm really tired of these roles that are being written by people who don't understand my people. And that was the first time I realized I wasn't just this person who wanted to be English. There was more to me. I was British, I was Egyptian, I was Moroccan, and all of this was a new thing that I had to take ownership of and not jump between one and the other, to just go, it's all one, and I have a right to say... No. And like Bahar, I was like, okay, so now I will act in the projects that I like, but now I will also write the things that I want to play, and I will produce the things that don't have characters for me, but stories I want to see. And that's where by producing, when I'm not acting, I also produce short films. It's a beautiful analogy of these two. It's like it's sort of yeah. you guys. I'm so delighted that we get Nana to a dash bring you together. Um, but yes. uh, but Nana, it's quite it's a slightly different experience for you because you were born in Sweden and and you are a mixed mixed background. Um, can you talk a little bit about? I mean, do you identify with anything that's being said about about kind of prejudice or stereotypes? Yeah, definitely in a way. But I think for me, because I was born Swedish and I feel very Swedish, but I don't look Swedish. Um, so. For me, like, I always have the language, I have the culture, and I also have my dad's side. He's from Ghana, so I have that culture too. But for me, like, in the movies, that's, that's like, my entire acting career. Like, they want me to be this ghetto girl, and they hire me for that, but I'm really not, because I was born and raised in an upper-class, like, Swedish neighborhood. So I always felt that I didn't belong anywhere, or there, it was very... It was hard to find kind of roles or even um, uh, scripts or characters that were suited for me because I didn't exist anywhere. Uh, but I think it's changing a lot, but it's still, it's tough. I mean, for me, 
I'm, I think I'm like, we're two black actresses in Sweden working, and I think I'm the only one in television in Sweden. Like, there's one more girl who does everything that I can't do. <laughs> and that's crazy. So, I mean, for me and Bahar, we're so alone. We have no one to kind of like, or they come, they're coming. A lot of girls are coming. We, yeah, to identify, or if you can't see it, you can't be it. Yeah. Like, there's no yes. represent, representation. So everything we do is like, for all like the small black girls in Sweden, they're like, oh my God, it's you! You know, I, I represent every one of them when I'm on yeah. television. And that's, it's a heavy burden to, to carry. And, and presumably not enough interesting work is being written that no. embraces people of color in, in Sweden. Yeah. And, and, and to some extent I in the UK th as well. Yeah, it, this year, it's, I uh, this year I did um, a character, the first one that was actually written for a Swedish person. She's called Lena. I think that's the first one I've ever done. I, I, I want to bring in Tom because obviously Tom, Tom um, according to the, the fantastic biography I get in the program, Tom is both kind of works in this field and worked at the Refugee Council, but is himself a writer and, and, and as a playwright. And I wondered if your work at Platforma has informed the way that you, you, as a, you as a writer, and are you writing differently as a result of all this extraordinary work you've, what you've been doing of refugees? Oh, that, I wasn't expecting that oh, question. Oh, sorry. I've, well, do start um, with your I, work I, I, I will, I will, I will respond to it. Sorry. Um, no, that's okay. Um, well, I think that for me, so at Counterpoints Arts, we work in a whole variety of ways on the arts, refugees, migration, social change. We, um, and a lot of that work, especially for me, as our platform and network, is focused on artists and arts organisations working in this area. And for me, the, the most profound experience really has been meeting lots of different artists in lots of different forms. So as a writer, I'd worked in theatre and radio. But just, like for example, like this evening, just meeting different peop people. And that, the, the fact that the, we work with lots of people from different backgrounds is part of that. But in all honesty, it's also just been I've met meeting lots of people working with very different practice. Mm. Um, I suppose generally all with an approach of uh, sort of social engagement and social change and from a diverse background. So, so a lot of the work we do um, at Counterpoints is with artists who might be making a work, but there's also a question of how is this, what impact is this having, who are we... Uh, engaging with it, what change might it make? And that's something that has uh, definitely informed my work. Um, something I was just thinking uh, while everyone was talking, apart from what fantastic films, and thank you very much, just maybe just kind of speak on behalf of the audience. Um, but sort of going a bit further back, I think it's so valuable in this country t to have Europe-focused work and themes I think sort of sitting in Shoreditch and in London, we might feel that we're all very European, but actually in terms of the arts, we are, I think, generally a pretty insular country when it comes to artistic consumption, but also in terms of just cultural understanding and any kind of understanding. There's a story in news today about foreign language teaching right on the going so rapidly down. Um, 
in our work around, particularly when you're thinking about refugees, this is even more important because while people in this country like to talk about there being a refugee crisis in this country, you know, any, anyone who thinks about it knows the number of refugees that have come to this country you know, in recent years is very, very small so in comparison to lots of countries in the world and in comparison to Europe, in comparison to Sweden, obviously, and to Germany. So for us, having these connections to these countries, and we do have a lot of connections in Sweden and countries in Europe, is, is important. And there's a feeling, I think, that obviously for people arriving, as we've heard, kind of that's an ongoing process, including now, people have a very different experience of Europe. I think to some extent what's happened in the last five years has invited a re uh, a redefinition of Europe. This, 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 these, the journeys that, as well as the experience, families being dispersed. I know this is not a brand new thing, but the scale has been increased. And I think, um, obviously, in terms of social policy, that's very, very significant. Culturally, it's it's an incredibly exciting opportunity, and I don't want to be flippant about thinking about culture when there's so many urgent needs that people are facing but obviously also know that culture is always an urgent need but that's actually a fantastic opportunity and in one way from our point of view sitting here in the UK we don't want to miss out on what's going to what the fantastic work that's going to be happening artistically in countries like Sweden and Germany um, and just one other thing, so I think the other thing, another thing we've been thinking about a lot, which I just wanted to bring up, is how can you take these kind of conversations to wider audiences? So we have a strand of our work now particularly focused on pop culture, kind of coming out of an American uh, initiative, or in a way, called the Pop Culture Collaborative. Um, so I think, again, thinking about a London perspective, you can get a bit... Uh, lulled into thinking what this country is like by the people you know and the places you go in London. We do lots of work also around the country, um, but also thinking about how do you reach those audiences. Um, I think it's very clear that films like this could play to very wide audiences um, and make such a brilliantly powerful message in a way that is left for the audience to really register themselves and kind of, you know, sort of own their understanding of. So I'm so many great ideas to come back to with with, these, with our guests. Um, I wanted to pick up on some of the things that Tom's saying. One of the um, how, how is the do you think that the refugee crisis and this growing awareness of these so many people who are moving to Europe for for for, for, for new opportunities and new life? Has it, do you think it's affected the way that your films are received in Sweden? Um. Yes and no, because also the refugees are kind of new. It will take time for them to come into this society and understand where they are, what's happening in the, you know. Maybe they are still in the survivor mood. So I will, I will say no, but it has changed me. And my, the third film you will see is actually, I, I write it during the crisis because I felt that... I must share a perspective. So both yes and, and no. It will change something in the society, but I don't know if I see it now. But also in Sweden, we do a lot to integrate and, and use people's skills. 
that also kind of knew things. They didn't do it in my time or with my parents, you know. So, so say a little bit more about the using people's skills. In what that what I feel that it's more like it's it's the uh, uh, institutions opening up for refugees to come with their skills, with their music, with their poetry, with their perspectives. It's it's much more welcoming now. So they don't need to assimilate themselves like we did. <laughs> you know, so in a kind and of I way... And I also think there's about... there's a di- I feel there's a difference between... I, I feel my family came as immigrants. They were excited. I was excited about the opportunities this country was giving us. I feel... Well, a lot of a lot of confusion happens when it comes to refugees. Quite a lot of them don't. A lot of them would rather be home, you know. And they're here. They kind of. I, I don't feel like I need as much of a welcome. My mom could just throw me on the bus because it was like new land. This is excellent, you know. Whereas I think when someone's been unplugged violently from everything they knew and they didn't want to be unplugged, they need more care to kind of from us as a society to bring them in and to kind of make them feel comfortable. Hell, I didn't care. I was just running around going, whoa, this world is amazing. Don't feel like it's the same experience. I have a lot of friends through Thousand and One Nights who, actors who came from the Arab world during um, some Syrian actors, Egyptian actors, one in particular springs to mind, who came, he, um, he struggled, he was stranded here while we did our play. And he was so lost you know, he couldn't go back to his country, and he was here, and he was this amazing actor, but he was very angry, but it took him a long time to find his place and to feel wanted, and that his skills as an actor, and as an artist, and as a poet were appreciated here, before he could start really finding his feet, and that's a different experience to, to being an immigrant, I think. I think that's, I, I'd love to come back to that, and I'm sure there are more questions to come. I want to just throw a couple more things in before I bring in audiences and we see more films. The, the, uh, one of the reasons why I was so interested in, 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 um, in, in working and bringing your work and you both this evening was a conversation that I had with my Swedish friends about um, this sense that it, 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 is, it is culturally unacceptable to talk about difference in Sweden, that you can't really ask someone where they're from or what religion they are, or perhaps even what, sex- what their sexuality is. Um, and that so much of what we saw this evening in your films really speaks to that. And um, I wondered if you can could um, kind of unpack that a little bit more for us, because I think we have, there are certainly silences in our society, like we certainly find it difficult to talk about things, and I think racism is definitely one of them. But we wouldn't uh, we would, we would, we. I think it's, I think it's quite an unusual situation in Sweden to not be able to ask someone where they're from. No, but I think because you have the whole history with going to Africa yeah. <laughs> and in Sweden, and many other places. Yes. <laughs> in Sweden we don't have that kind of history. We do, but we we haven't spoken about it at all. So speaking about Swedish people don't like to talk about racism because they don't think they're racists, and because we are so few. In, in like in the cultural debate that are of color, we kind of feel always attacked. Like everywhere we go, like, oh, where are you from? Because there's no uh, diversity. If we were um, many more, I think it wouldn't be that sensitive. So it's kind of, it's, it's coming from also from people of color or people from other backgrounds that we feel like, hey, I'm, I'm Swedish. Like, it's enough. You don't have to go back, back, back to my background, you know? 
but also it's starting to open up and it's also it's it's um at, at uh, how do you say it's doubled. Double? <laughs> Double. Double edged sword. It's good and bad. Yeah, it's good and bad and it's and it's two ways. It's like you want to talk about it and then you don't want to talk about it and then it it gets just I don't know, we get lost. Yeah. And people are very afraid to kind of say the wrong thing. Yes. It's the debate is very like well in the Turk shot being perfect, being a perfect. Yeah, man, yeah, it's very so, sensitive. And is that something that you so you deliberately went out of your way then, Baha, to to address these issues in your film? I just wanted to show it. I just didn't want anything. I just wanted to to show what I see, you know, in the society. And but I understand that it's hard to talk about it. I I, I understand it, but also. Nana talks about our, our business, but I think it's the diversity is about all the country. Everyone must, all the time, it's like a, a Swedish person ask you or my sister that is not in the business, where are you from? And then I must also every time talk about the revolution in Iran and my parents' revolution. And, you know, it becomes your identity after a while. It's, it's a new generation that wants to say we are Swedish or we are not Swedish that stop ask us questions. We don't know what the year the revolution started or whatever it can be, you know? Uh, so, so, but I think it's about that we don't have the diversity to, to also be able to see each other as non-immigrants or immigrants. And that also it goes back to the stereotype and everything becomes moment 22, moment 22. You want someone from another uh, people of color in a sort of uh, in in something in a role or something, but in the same time, think if this can be racist because this girl will be raped in the film and then it can be, but she's black and you know and you started to think and it will be you you recognize it it will be so much moment twenty two. How, how is the how is the response been to the films? Do you do you have these conversations with? Yes, the yes, I have, and the response is very big, and people are recognizing themselves very much, and they appreciate it that that uh, the films are not uh, uh, that they are kind, <laughs> you know, that they, I'm not like uh, pushing and saying you are you are uh, the one that's making you are the racist or you white people you are the ra they, they appreciate appreciate it a lot, and feel that they can recognize themselves and go home and think. So, and kind of, it's also my, my, what I want to show. I wanted to do it with, with a sense of humor and, and with a comedy and, and not say this is this or this. And also, in a way, you know, in Ghetto Swedish, she gets paid and she's an actress. Maybe she can do that. What's the problem? Yeah. Yeah. You, you see, that will be complex all the time. And, and also, at the Turk shop, it was really, really hard for me to edit it. I edited it for six months, almost like a future film. Because I couldn't find the way to make the main character become sympathetic. Because someone asked me and said, but of course, she's very rude to come and, and you know, who, who does she think that she is? And come to a conversation and, and think that she have the right to... And I was like, yes, it's true. And whose film is it? Is it the, the, the white girl's film perspective? Or is it hers? And, you know, so there is... A, it's very hard <laughs> to, to, to show them in a balanced way that everyone can understand and everyone can recognize and people don't get offended and can, you know, take it with them. So, so, so um, 
I started to talk to Khuda earlier in the week in preparation of this evening's event. And uh, we were talking about um, coming out, really, coming out in all different ways as, as part of the process and smothering your identity, really what you both were talking about, about being Swedish, being British. And, um, and Khuda said this is just the timing is just phenomenal because this is the week that the first, Brit the first Arab actor has won an Oscar ever. And, and, and I was wondering if I think I should ask Khoda to introduce the story because it's just the timing of the Academy Awards and our event is just so perfect. Do you want to talk a little bit about it? So, I, so I, I'd always struggled with when people ask me where you're from. I'm just like, I'm half Egyptian, half Moroccan, so here, but I'm French. Really confusing. My children are even worse. Um, and my, my husband's here. Our daughter, they, they have flag raisings at school. She showed up to the American flag, flag raising. Yeah. When I asked her why, she said, I have an American accent. And I was like, <laughs> fair enough. Um, so, so there's all of these things. And so I've always struggled. And I was talking to Josephine that when I had, when the votes go out, when Brexit happened, when everything, I always feel really scared to voice my opinion. And I always, I still question my validity and, and my voice in this country. Not because anyone else has made me feel that, but I still feel that, um, for whatever reason. But, but what happened is I, w I was watching Rami give his speech, and he's a big deal for us, you know. And he, he, he just for Rami those who missed it, Rami Malek won the Best Actor for playing the role of Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes, so, so and he's actually Persian. <laughs> so that's the crazy yes, thing. Exactly, you know? exactly. yes. Which he can identify with yeah. because being, you know, a, a, a first-generation immigrant uh, Egyptian, so he, he could identify with it. But I've heard a lot of his interviews, and it's the first time when he won his Oscar, he said, I am the son of immigrants. And I was like, wow. And he said, and I'm first-generation American. And I, he came the similar age to us. He came, I think, 10, 11 to America. And it made me go, oh! I can do that. I can say that. And for the first time, I felt like I can say, I'm British. I, don't, I, have to, I can stop going, I'm a little bit British. I can go, I am. It's a choice. He's made a choice, and he was clear, and he claimed it. And home is where you decide is home as long as you feel. And with everything going on in America, God Lord knows for him to say that is so powerful to just kind of take it and claim it and claim that victory as an Egyptian and as an American and be it equal have equal strength for those two identities for him to his one grand brilliant actor and I was like yes it gave me permission because I still ask for permission to be European to be British I mean now with 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 Brexit it's a whole other you know thing that I need to question but it did give me a, a, just a this permission to go okay thank you I think, I mean, I want to talk about Europe and I want to see, we, we, we want to talk a little bit about home because I, I'd love to show you uh, um, uh, Baha's latest work in progress. But I, I, we're also privileged this evening to have some fantastic actors in the audience who are, um, who I, we've worked with at Dash over the last few years who are not born in the UK and working here. And I dropped a quick note to them about an hour ago. I said, come this evening. And like three or four of them showed up, which is really amazing. And I wondered if... Um, uh, any of anybody in, any of them would like to share about anything about their experiences from what we've heard this evening? Uh, but there might be other people that might want to ask a question or talk. So Christina has a microphone, um, so please feel free to to uh, wave at Christina and uh, respond, reflect, ask. Please don't be shy. We travel long way <laughs> yes, to you hear to. you, and and it's very nice to you know hear people in other country to see our films and. So please don't be shy. 
There is no stupid questions. Miguel, I've Miguel, heard them all. Miguel, can we have the lights up a little bit? The house lights up a tiny bit, please. Thank you. Anyone? Shall I, shall I start just briefly? Yeah. I'm Romanian, German, God knows how much British, but I'm, um, I think I assimilated pretty quickly, so then I was really unusual because people wouldn't marry my background with my accent or my way of being. And similar to, I mean, well, I migrated to Germany when I was 16 and then I came here to study when I was 19 and every time I you know maybe shed away another layer of migrantness you know and in, in Germany I had those experiences where I would be told by my German teacher you need to look in a book for Ausländer for people outside this land to improve your German and uh, you know being looked at funny if I went into a shop to buy something because they thought I might be stealing. But uh, then I came to Britain and I was, I was funny. The Brits were m much more relaxed with their racism. At first they just <laughs> thought of orphans and footballers. And no then, prostitutes? Well, no, because it was 1996 when I came. So there was nothing much about Romania. And then um, I finished drama school and I was told by my voice teacher, who was German actually, that I'll probably never work because I had an accent. And then straight away I started booking the bill and all those awful, lovely soaps. I'm grateful to actually, but um, it was you know all the characters that you expect you would play of your of your denomination. So I played everything from prostitutes and illegal immigrants, and then five ten years later I was playing prostitutes and illegal immigrants who had now become doctors. <laughs> but it's still, you know, it's the, the yeah. So it's uh, it's it's I, I'm just incredibly. Uh, grateful to you and and just moved really moved to hear <clears throat> to have this sorority you know you're, you're women as well and you have the same stories and it's um, I can't say how powerful it is to hear your voice and your experience being given some sort of yeah yeah so with that I'm hoping you know now you will make a better contribution than mine so just put your hand up Thank and you. say something <laughs> Anyone, anyone would like to follow the wonderful Christina? <laughs> anyone, anyone? I mean, you can ask anything about the films or the scene or whatever. Private question is also okay. <laughs> Good evening. Uh, my name is Remy. I'm coming from France. Uh, private questions, you said. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, more seriously, uh, on your two movies, what I've seen is what I'm seeing in everyday life at office, you know, and so on. And call me a pessimistic, but I don't think that you can make people change. But maybe in the, by using humor like you're doing, you can. But earlier you said that they were reacting in a way like they were grateful because it was not too harsh. But are they really, what can I say, understanding the way they are behaving with immigrants or people with other roots? After seeing these movies, do you really think that it's going to make they change? They say they do. I don't know. <laughs> I, I receive some letters and, and from people that say, oh, my God, I recognize myself and I'm in shame oh. about myself. So I think maybe they do. The only thing I can say is that, of course, I cannot. For me, it's enough to change one person's perspective because that one person can change another person's perspective. And, and that I think I did. So I think it's enough for me. But but also I, I struggle with myself because I think they are so cute, cute, these films. You know, inside me, I just want to do punch in the face film. 
but I'm not there. Maybe in the future. But I, I have to say that your films really, there's, there was one incident in my, there's been many, but there's one incident in my life, the trueness of the kind of, the, the, I think it's easy to deal with front-on racism when someone kind of comes at you with something. It's easy to deal with them. But it's when they're really trying to be polite about it. And that's when my husband is here. But we were buying the house and um, we went, really lovely couple, really nice. And they were trying to be helpful to tell us, you know, the area is really nice. And then the man said to us, and there's a restaurant around the corner. And I think, and he really, long pause, and he went, people of your disposition would like it. And me and my husband left, and we're like, we need to find what it is. And it was, it was a Lebanese restaurant. He had no idea, but it was like, he's like, is it Indian? What is it? What is it going to be? And it was that, it was and like... for him, it's like that he sees oh you. Oh my God, he was like, you know, he was taking I see you. in. I see you, and I'm taking you in. And I know that he, he so didn't good. mean it maliciously, but until we can stop having these conversations... There is yeah. racism. You know, we are other. We will be other. And you can deal with it in an angry way or you can deal with it with going, just holding what art does best. Hold a mirror up to society and say, here it is. I was going to, that's a beautiful response. Um, I was going to ask Tom something similar to, I didn't catch your name. Remy. Remy's question. Do you feel in the work that you're doing with Platformer that you are, that this things slowly, slowly are changing? Well, it would be tough not to hold on to that hope because you, uh, and you see it on an individual level. I, um, it's obviously hard because you're in your own perspective, so you can, you know, you can see good things happening and feel it's pervasive. Um, I do. Th so, on the things that are, are definitely true is that in terms of arts, migration, diversity. That is growing in this country, and there is fantastic work all around the country of all kinds in all communities. There's a huge amount. There's a huge amount of people from all backgrounds who do not get the opportunity to engage in the arts. So it's hard. You can get just dwarfed by these issues. I mean, schools everywhere. But let's just deal with what we can deal with. And I think there's no doubt. I think anyone who's had that experience, you can see that the arts is a way of making this change. I think what's interesting, and going back to Christina's point, and, and sort of a lot of things have been talked about, um, is how you can also, th where these kind of leverages can come in that make a bigger social impact. And, you can, and I think those are hard. You can't really predict those always. What's the thing? But And if, for, if you're working in the kind of cultural sphere you're just sort of hoping and trying to do good and relevant work that is building up the kind of ground base that will help make these changes. I think most people would feel that younger people are much more open, much, you know, so there's a lot of hope in that. And one thing that's been interesting, so we have um, two co-directors, Almir and Onya. Almir's from uh, former Yugoslavia. And he's been saying recently about how rare it is to hear someone with an, uh, who's, for whom English is not the first language, speaking on TV, on the radio. And I pointed out that there is one exception, and that's football managers, yeah. where it's quite rare to hear someone for whom English is a first language. Because you can have people of colour in Sweden 
But still, their Swedish is perfect. Yeah, you and it's still you know? it's a strange barrier in this in this country. And I yeah. think that's something that could, so many people in this country, English is not their first language. I mean, and I'm saying that, or they have an accent. I mean, Alma's been here 20 years, and um, although actually in a recent meeting, someone said, "Well, your English is very good," to him, yeah. which was a really strange comment. Um, but you don't hear that very much. So there, there are these interesting areas, and you kind of think, actually, you know what? When is a newsreader? who wasn't born in this country, who has an accent, that will actually be quite a significant moment. And it will be one of these moments where, yeah, I recognise myself in that. So there are these moments in terms of people from different backgrounds, but there are lots of these areas. And I think, um, well, you know, if you, get, if you really dig deep for optimism, then you think, well, maybe this discussion about Europe, there's a discussion about Europe that we're having in this country <laughs> might yield yeah. some, some positive things of thinking about as your program is doing, what are our connections to Europe? What are we thinking about? You know, where can we find those commonalities? So, I, I, um, any any more questions before? Because I want there's yes, there's one over there here. Uh, it's just really a comment, a reflection, really. Um, just coming back to what uh, Huda you were saying about. Uh, embracing your Britishness and sort of being given permission to, you know, to say that you're British. Um, I was raised in Canada, but born in Poland. And of course, Canadian, Canadians are a country of immigrants. And you'd be hard pressed not to be asked, where are you from? Um, you know, several generations down, maybe people call themselves Canadian, but mostly they're asked, where are you from? And you say, you know, where you've come from. And I've always been Polish when I lived in Canada, you know, always asked, where are you from? Oh, I'm Polish. And it wasn't until, funnily enough, I moved to Britain and that I've become Canadian and I've really embraced that. Because <laughs> always my accent comes out and it's like now I say, well, I'm, I'm Canadian. I was born in Poland, but I'm Canadian. And it's just really funny how that's come about. So I think it's a beautiful introduction for us because I really want to talk about Europe because that's really why we're here in some ways. But um, I, I, before we talk about Europe, I, will, I, I think this idea of where is home is something that, that Bahar is thinking a little bit about in her latest film and, and Huda is also thinking about that. So why don't we, Bahar, should we, should, what, do you want to introduce your film and then we'll see it yeah. and, then, and then we'll watch it and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about, the, I about don't it. Where is home? I don't know if it's... Yeah. It's relevant. Well, you're. Oh, maybe I've maybe I've totally missed. Well, tell us about the film that we're going yeah, to see. Yeah, I, I did. It, the, the film you're going to see is it's it's really work in progress and it's going to be 27 minutes. So you will see 13 minutes of it that I try to make it short with English subtitle for you. And it's about immigration. It's about dreams. It's about identity. It's about love. Uh, heavy stuff I tried to put in 27 minutes and you will see 30 minutes of it. And, and I write this film. It's really not like my two first films. It's much more... For me, it's much more Iranian film, you know? It's, it's much more... I want to do something visual. I wanted to do something like love and immigration. And, and, and I started to write it when the huge immigration, uh, you know, this crisis that we call was, and I was like, oh my God. And there were so many stories 
that was my stories about immigrants and the immigration stories that I heard. So I wanted to put them. I was like, I must, I must write this film because no one else can write it. And, and it's not, it's about everything in this. And it's just, you know, very dramatic. Yeah. And it was very hard to make it because it, it's supposed to be in Afghanistan and I shoot it in Armenia and it was 40, 40 degrees uh, and it was, it was very, very hard to make it. And it was a challenge for me as a female director going back to Middle Eastern and try to film and people was, was like, why, why are you doing this film? Why are you not making funny film or something else? You know, let's, so, see so, let's see it. So let's and then see talk it. about it. Yes, uh, talk please, about that because please. I could have. I think there's parallels or something. Oh, has good. Been okay. To, of uh, Baha's new film. Do you want to come back? Come. They're coming. They're coming. Come back. Come back. Okay. Um, Baha, te, can you tell us a little bit about the film? So uh, the film is about <coughs> the the mother and 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 Mariam. They are uh, flying from Iran to Europe, and and then she gets killed and. She, uh, the main character, Mariam, will be trapped in Afghanistan, in the middle of nowhere, because uh, the people they paid money to take them to Europe, um, yeah, they take them wrong way and they don't care. So something happens that they are a kind of mafia. And what does bacha posh mean? Bacha posh means that uh, someone's child, despite child, the child was was another identity, and it's a phenomenon uh, used in Afghanistan for for uh, many uh, girls to have freedom to to dress like boys until they are like teenagers and then they stop and, and i thought it was so interesting with that phenomenon because i think it will be a new generation of of girls uh raising up like like uh, and whole society knows it and no one like talks about it and they just accept it so so the girls come there and ask her are you bacha posh and she says no and in the beginning, we heard that the mother says, we must cut your hair. We must, this is dangerous for you to be. And she's like just a teenager. And she, she dressed like a teenager. And, and in, this, in this journey, she will be become, it's like a coming of age. She will like find her sexuality also with him. And he's like, am I gay? Because they kind of started a love story. And, and he's, he's in, 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 in the ISIS. And she will understand that at the end. And there's a lot of drama. So, so <laughs> I don't know which one I should tell about it because it's it's not a film about the phenomenon Bachaposh. It's a film about to fall in love in the wrong place. Actually, it's what the film is about. And is this the first time you've made a film that kind of explores this sort of, I guess, this Iranian, this yes. near this far east side, near east side of your identity? Yes, exactly, and and you know both also my side of identity, also my freedom, because I liked it too very much. I was aware, aware of, the, of the system very, very early in my, in my, in my uh, uh, when I raised up in Iran, that I saw that the, the boys had another freedom, you know, totally. We, in Iran, we don't have actually bachaposh the phenomenon, but, but I also wanted to be like them. I have short hair and, and I couldn't. So it have always been with me very, very close to change identity, you know, to fit in. So for me, it was, it was close to me. Also in Sweden, I change my identity all the time to fit in in the different rooms. Uh, so to change identity was, was very interesting. And uh, then to fall in love 
and just be totally alone in, in the middle of nowhere. And also a little bit the class perspective because she's listening a lot to music and she wants to be a singer. That we will understand later. And the guy, he's a survivor. He's just working, you know, all the time and taking care of the sheep and he don't know about nothing about music. And she comes with the music in his life. So I wanted to, to also show different perspective of to be, <laughs> to, to be somewhere. And both of them could be immigrants with two different, two different experiences when they come to Europe. And uh, so she... He will follow her to Europe. He will not in this film. Will not. But he, he, will, he will help her uh -huh. to get to Europe. And he says, I don't care who you are. You will be my brother, Yanni, uh, always. But go and find your dream. So he pays a lot for her to, to get to Europe. And do, do you feel that um, the, 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 the respect, I mean, to use, to coin um, the Rami Malek idea of the validation of having made some successful films um, about your Swedish identity, has it liberated you? Has it enabled you to make this film about this experience of becoming European? Do you think it's given you that opportunity? I think so, yes. Uh, but it's me more struggling with myself. You know, I feel that, yes, I kind of get the opportunities to do it. There is an interest from the institutes, uh, the film institute that we get our money. There is an interest to, to show the, uh, the perspective. But it's much more, like Nana said before, it's a burden also. Because it's not, a, this is a fantasy. I mean, <laughs> and, and maybe someone says, why don't you show a disease? And then I get so much, uh, like I must tell all the stories like all the small black girls are, have Nana as a, as a you know, uh, idol. And, and it becomes also limitating. And everyone is like, oh, your third thing is also about racism? No, it's not. It's about love. And so it's also the, the it's limitating. I think I limitate myself in this. By doing it. So, so um, there's a lovely, neat parallel with the work that Khoda is doing at the mm -hmm. moment. Um, with your film that you've recently been made, in e made about Egypt. Do you want to, is it, could you introduce that a little bit? Tell us about the work. Um, so I, um, I, went to, I went to Cairo for a film festival with a film that I was acting in and I met a filmmaker and through a conversation I found out that, that Egypt is one of the highest countries in the world for female genital mutilation, which I didn't know. Being half Egyptian, I was very shocked. So we created a film together and through doing that, I also started a documentary that... Um, about a huge uh, orchestra, classical orchestra that's that's fully uh, made up of uh, blind women in, uh, in, 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 Cairo. in Cairo. In Cairo, classical. They've played around the world. Uh, really incredible. So we struck a deal with them to to do a documentary, and we got some great people on board. Like, so I was very excited. As an Egyptian, I went to see them. They said, "Yes, come come and do a documentary." The woman is about in her eighties, not very well health wise. So we wanted it to be her opus, and and we, it it was incredible, and it all everything just came in very quickly. Funding came from another filmmaker called um, Thomas Morgan, who's a very well known documentary filmmaker, and Susan Sarandon. And the minute I came with this news, um, we'd been working with them for about two weeks. They stopped answering our calls. They stopped responding to anything. The film crews disappeared. All the support that we had inland disappeared. 
And we could, they wouldn't even tell us why. And it was so frustrating. We walked in there and they'd said, we thought you were Egyptian. And we said, we are. My, my co-producer is uh, Jordanian as well. But I said, I am. My husband's Egyptian. I'm Egyptian. They said, no, the money is American. We can't do it. And it was the first time that I realized, oh, my God, even positive, beautiful stories right now in Egypt are being censored. Um, I don't think they knew that I was doing this uh, female, I mean, the female genital mutilation film that I, we did. I, so when that was filmed after it, I made a point of not being in Egypt while it happened. It was Egyptian crew, Egyptian um, DP. Because I'm half Egyptian, so I'm not fully Egyptian, therefore it's no longer my home. They, I thought it was, but in, in that environment, it's no longer my home. And I'm no longer trusted um, as a filmmaker, as an artist in, in that world anymore. Um, which was, you know, real shock to the system for me because that was a very positive story. So, of course, it meant we were filming the other film. I was like, I'm out. I will support everything, post-production, everything, but I'm out. I will not act in it. I will not be in it. I will not be involved. So that the film can get made. So, so, so actually, there aren't so many parallels. But, I, but on the other hand, what it does do is it... it um or maybe maybe we'll hear from Bahar in a minute. But it, it, but in some ways, did that did you did it make you feel more that that sort of sense of I'm British? Um, did it make you did you make you realise you know did it re- help you reassess your identity through that process? It, Rami did that for me. But, <laughs> this week, but, yes, this week. But but it, what it made me realise is I am less Egyptian in other people's eyes than I thought. Mm. Uh, not in mine, mm. but in other people's eyes. I know political situations very very um, uh, sort of underground kind of boiling things. So I know that it's not the Egyptian people, but the Egyptian people who wanted it made were scared of the foreigners involved, and I was involved with the foreigners. Right. I, it's interesting because we, we had a brief conversation, Nana, you were talking a little bit about uh, your yeah. father's side and being Ghanaian. Yeah. Um, and did you, did, did you identify with some of that, that sense of who, where, where, who are you, Egyptian? Are you, are you, are you Swe- Swedish? Are you British? Are you, you know, this sense of who you are? And in fact, uh, answering that point about only realizing that you're Canadian when you've left the country. Did you, what happens when you, how, how did your journey into your discovering your Ghanaian roots, how did that affect you? So I thought, I, I felt very Ghanaian when I grew up. And then when I was 17, I went to Ghana with my dad. And then I realized I was very Swedish. <laughs> so the older I've gotten, I've become more Swedish, I think. Um, but nowadays, I feel like I don't have to um, as specific. Um, I don't have to choose, and nobody else has to define me. I can define myself. And also now, when I have a daughter uh, with a Swedish guy, um, like. I'm a world citizen. I think we're a third co- uh, culture growing up. So maybe you don't have to define it. Yeah. That's where I'm kind of analyzing right now. I'm in a mix of like, maybe I don't have to be, or I can be both. And what about, I suppose, what about this sense of being European? Because I've always had European as part of my identity. Oh, you and, have, yeah. And, and, I, and I think that, uh, that that's, been, that's been ripped from us in Britain yeah. or, or removed or voluntarily renounced. Yeah. And I think there is a sense of trauma 
yeah. um, in in our you know in our in our country because of that sense of kind of I think it is making us reassess whether we are global citizens because yeah. I think it is an important you know we I mean many of us would probably just define ourselves as Londoners but yeah. I think um, that that there is something about being European perhaps that gives you the license to make this work that you couldn't make if you were Iranian that you couldn't make if you were Egyptian yeah. and I wonder if that sense of being European is something that I've never important. thought of myself as European. I don't know why. It's, it's, it doesn't uh, appear in, uh, in my world. I mean, we have Scandinavia, we have the North, and then we have Europe and Sweden. So you, I don't, I, I don't uh, think a lot of Swedish people say that they're European. It's, it's not such a... I don't know. How, what do you say, Swedish embassy people? <laughs> like you, you, you don't go around and say, I'm, I'm European. But yeah. I mean, I think... I mean, I don't know. I'd be interested to hear Hoda and your, your thoughts. I think perhaps we only now thinking about being European because it's being taken from us. Yeah. Yeah. So suddenly Probably. you start questioning... Well, I have found myself questioning what it was that, or what it is that I'm losing through this process, which really is part of the reason why we're here this evening, really. I think... I, I, I don't know about you, but I didn't think of, I didn't think of Europe until it was gone. I didn't think that, you, you know, we're British, and we kind of can go to Italy and have pasta. That was my, my take on it. I didn't understand the depth of what it means to be Europe. I knew that we had freedom, but not to the degree, if anything that happened, it was my awareness of what we had became really clear, and what we're losing became even clearer. Um, but my favorite moment of when it happened was we were in LA and our daughter was, she was four, five, no, six, she was six. And, um, <laughs> and, sat, and we were like, oh my God, this is happening, we're not there. I don't know what we thought we could do, but we're like, oh my God, the country's falling. And then she just burst out crying and she was crying. And we're like, well, why are you crying? And she said, because we, there were so many of us and now there's so little. And it just made perfect sense because it was like, oh, that is what we're mourning. Because I kind of was angry, but I didn't know why I was angry. But I was like, oh, it's the whole that we're mourning. We are now, there's less that we're part of. So, yeah, she, she was very clear for us. Um, I like the point that was made that you don't have to choose between two different identities. And that uh, I believe the same. It can be more enriching. And it doesn't mean that you need to divide yourself. Um, so my question is, um, in this country, in Britain, there has been some debate about what being British means. I'm wondering whether in Sweden there is a similar debate uh, about what being Swedish means. And if so, what people in Sweden are uh, coming up uh, as answers to this question. Great question. No, there is, I mean, it's, it's very complex because uh, we have the first generation and then we have the second generation and then we have also people that don't feel that they are accepted in Sweden and we have a lot of races, so they go back to their roots, but they don't have any roots. So we are kind of called in between cultures. And I think to, to choose, to have the ability to choose, then you must be very free in yourself. You must be very free. You know, you must uh, have worked so much with yourself and this kind of question to say, now I choose to be free. You can't define me. You can't define my gender. You cannot define, I will not let you define me. And, and I'm not there yet. I try to, to get there. I have a lot of, Nana always says to me, now you are taking, 
Iran too much in you, and I'm like, oh, and I'm trapped all the time from 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 my background and from an, and I have a Swedish husband, and you know, it's this. So, so the answer to your question is like everyone is struggling with it, and, and it's very sensitive because there is different experience. Uh, we are not, or we don't have the, or we don't have the same experience. You know, all of us. Maybe someone wants to be very uh, Iranian and don't call Swedish, and it's also okay. You know, so there is no answer for it. But we, well, I'm, I, I, I think that's. Um, Baha's left us, and in the way that her films are so realist, has left us on a really realist note uh, yeah. to think about the future. I, 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 but there was uh, more questions. There's sorry. more questions, but we're not going to go anywhere. Like we're going to be here. That we're going to put music on. We're going to be by the bar. Please buy a drink. I forgot to tell you definitely good. to buy drinks. Um, but I oh, want good. to. Um, I think I will kind of formally close the the sort of this part of the evening, and then we will will be able to carry on chatting and asking more questions. I hope and talking more. Um, um, and that just leaves me to. Do an enormous thank you to Tom, um, to Nana, to Khoda, and to Baha for, her, for, their, for their presence, for their beautiful films and beautiful performances. Thank you so much, and thank you to you all for coming. Thank you to you. Thank you for having us. I hope you enjoyed the recording. We were completely thrilled to work with the Embassy of Sweden in London and arts venue Rich Mix to make that Dash Cafe happen. I found it quite fascinating listening back a year on to the conversation and realising how little had changed. And in some way, you know, we're now being the other side of our exit from the European Union, kind of looking back on Huda's nostalgic take on, on what you're being European meant. Um, and yet <laughs> we've gone to this completely different planet now in a kind of COVID, our COVID planet, where in momentarily, I think, being part of the EU or not being part of the EU has suddenly become a bit uh, meaningless. But my, my feeling is that that will only, as we emerge again from the pandemic, these issues that are that my wonderful friends raised in the podcast will remain as relevant and important as ever. The team behind the Dash Arts podcast is me, Josephine Burton, Christina Catalina and Natalie Beach. Our intro music is from Dancing Fakir by Maruf Majidi. Our theme song is called On the Edge of Your Spring, written by Sasha Relukovic, with music arranged by Andy Hall. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcast, or by going to our media section on our website, dasharts.org.uk. If you like the Dash Arts podcast, follow the show, share and please leave us a review. It helps us stay visible and would mean the world to us. I'm Josephine Burton, back in a fortnight with more conversations at the Dash Arts podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.